And now, live from StarWorldWideNetworks.com, welcome to Marketing Money Mindset, bringing you interesting true stories on how clever marketing ideas create money opportunities with a conscious mindset producing impact and success. Together, lover of marketing Elisa Sparks Lane from the Ellen Sparks Agency and certified professional photographer and official photographer of the Phoenix Open, Everardo Kimi, share their experiences on how success is so much more than creating cash flow. True success comes when you nurture your business, body, and brain in order to get the most out of your business and in life. Join the dynamic duo on our journey to success. Ready? Set. Listen. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Did you have a good weekend? I did. Actually, we did the uh, Prosecco brunch Sunday, which was phenomenal. And you look like all in one piece, so it must have been okay. I was. Actually, uh, we got out of there at 1 o'clock on time, and uh, we had a last-minute sponsor, uh, Poor Masters. So that was pretty sweet. So it's nice to have some bartenders there. Yeah, it was pretty nice. And Well, it's probably safer that way that you're not pouring. Um, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> a little heavy-handed. Good thing the glasses weren't too extraordinary. Right? They kept me. I've seen you pouring samples, and it's like the equivalent of like three red solo cups. Me? Yeah. Like, I just want a little taste. No, you were pretty good with the sampling, though. Well, that was nice, because you knew I had a few to try out. Yeah, because I knew I wanted yeah. to take you through the whole entire flight. Yeah. How was your weekend? It was really, really nice. Yeah? Yeah, very relaxing. Dinner with friends. Nice, calm. I was in town. Felt a little weird. So because of that, I'm leaving. (laughs) (laughs) Today. Yeah, I'm out. Gone. I got to go. Actually, we got a bottle of wine. Um, So the Viognier is being plucked right now. Nice. Uh, So this week, we're going to be doing some fermenting. We're going to be some mixing, some bottling. Uh, So is there waiting? Is there a waiting period when you're doing this? Uh, kind of, yeah. So it just depends on what has to be done, how many hands there is available to help and do everything. Um, so Kurt and Peggy who run LDV winery, uh, here in Scottsdale, that's their tasting room. And then we're going down the vineyard in Wilcox to work down there. And, uh, Kurt's already been poking and pulling, he's pulled all of Viognier already just because hot summer and, um, a lot of rain over the past couple of weeks has really ripened up the grapes really quick. Mm. So it's just really weird from the perspective of we're plucking grapes here in Arizona. Now, California is not even thinking about it for a couple of months. Neither is Oregon or Washington and other parts of the world. So it's just really weird that it's such an early harvest here. Mm. So, so it's funny today's subject. We have, um, now or later, right. And uh, kind of fun. So I have a funny story before we start, I deleted the Bumble app. Why? Yeah, I, you know, it was a lot of, um, it was a lot. You're How's such that? a busy bee on there. I am. I was a busy bee. So I downloaded uh, Candy Crush instead. Because that'll help you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, much better on that side. It'll, it'll just make you so much more aware of when an opportunity presents itself in the coffee shop, too. Exactly. Because your nose is just going to be in the phone like a teenager. So have you ever played Candy Crush? No. I've I, never played. I have no interest in it. None? Just because of that. Do you play any of the games? No. So a lot of people use them as time out, kind of that little tune and just kind of relaxing, and you've never done that. No, I grew up, and I was never allowed to have a video game system. I didn't get my first video game system until I was like 22. Was it Atari? Uh, I played my my friend's Atari, but we were not allowed to have it at home. See, I grew up in that era where here's a stick and a ball, like, go play outside. Mm -hmm. Here's a bicycle. Go have fun, right? Like, that's how I grew up, with using my imagination and having a tree house and 
getting into other sorts of mischief. But video games, TV, stuff like that. I mean, it interests me. I just, and, and I'm really appreciative of it now because I see little kids. Um, she's probably going to hate that I say this. So my girlfriend's little son, sweet kid, but he's five. And already I've seen him walk into walls twice because he's so in tune to his iPad or whatever he is that he's not paying attention to his surroundings and boom, just slaps, walks into a wall. Ouch. Speaking of that, in Honolulu, it is now illegal to text and walk because of the same thing. You have tourists that are just nose in the phone, walking around busy streets and being hit by cars, crossing streets, tripping. So it is now illegal to text and walk in Honolulu. And other states are looking at it for the same exact reason. I know a friend that took a nice tumble while she was texting in the road. Right? Yeah. Pretty funny. So that's going to be you with Candy Crush now. No. I... I'm going to time limit myself. <laughs> There's apps for that, too, actually, so that you can actually play for a little bit, time out. Yeah. Um, it's the same with lock like on your computer. Out. Yeah, it'll mm-hmm. lock you out. I think it's useful. Yeah, not bad. Okay, so the subject actually came up last week when we were talking about now or later, and it was really about being on time. So I have a wonderful friend that I'm, I'm not going to say her name, but um, she loves to be on her time and uh, tends to miss out on some of the things. But I love her dearly, and I don't mind. So it's one of those things like, do you have to be on time? Is there disrespect when there's not, you know, someone on time? And also what other avenues does time actually really make a difference? So I was talking to Ken, who's also one of our guests today. Ken Edwins, financial advisor, amazing man. We've done so much fun stuff together. Um, and, And the subject came like, when do you even start investing? When do you start thinking about that? And Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Um, what Good is I, you? You answered something really great when I asked you that question too. So do you remember how old? I, th- I think I said five. <laughs> I think as it was twelve, as, but as five sounds possible. even better. And I had a client call me last week, and she said my daughter follows the stock market. I said, "Well, what's wrong with that?" She said, "I don't have any idea what she's watching. I don't understand any of it." So how old's your daughter? She's eighteen. Okay, so what's going on? She wants to save. She wants to save money. And so I said, well, let's sit down and talk to her. So the earlier, the better. Actually, the time value money is probably the most powerful tool that you have. So how do you teach when it's so young? Like, is it something that we can turn them into instead of Candy Crush, do another app or something that actually kind of involves <laughs> yeah. them in what's happening in the world or read the paper? It, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a discipline that you have to learn over time. And the sooner you learn it, the better off you are. Uh, the, probably the most important factor is that people who do it, um, they just seem to have a knack for doing it. Um, if you get, ha- need to have money because of an emergency and you have to pull money from it, it's better to have the money than to have to borrow the money. There are ways to begin to look at it. So it's, again, t- time comes into that conversation. So is it better for me to take money out of my savings or put it on a credit card. So the question becomes, how much time does it take to pay off the credit card? And what does that cost you? So there's always a cost element, money related to time. Well, isn't it a learned behavior that too, as a child, like I've heard forever and ever that if you teach the kid the value of money through say allowance, right? Then they learn to appreciate money as opposed to just having parents that are piggy banks and just saying, mom, dad, I want this. And then they just buy it for them. Yeah, there's some research out there to indicate that the sooner you start teaching kids the value of money in terms of saving, how to save, spend, and share, 
there are a number of websites out there. There are a number of companies that that's all they focus on is is educating families and children. And so, yeah, if you're if you have kids and you haven't started it, it's you know as soon as you can start teaching them how to save money, if they're how to spend money, how to share money. I, I have a client whose um, son just bought a I don't know three hundred dollar digital printer that he's building himself because he likes to build computers and technology and he saved the money, you know, because it was important to him. It wasn't all of his money, but he saved it. Well, it's unfortunate because we probably all learn the same way. And the hard part is, is we're always told this, right? But until you actually experience or learn it for yourself, you don't really pay attention, right? So I went through a bad phase around 18, 19, and then I found some help and then discovered the Dave, Dave Ramsey system and the classes there. And it's like, oh, well, it is kind of a fun feeling to be able to go into a store, to be able to buy something in cash and be like, boom, mine. I don't know anybody, anything. It's mine. So, the, so, so it taught you some confidence. It did, because right. that's such a fun feeling, too, when you can barter, right? Because that's the other thing that I'm sure comes up and I'm sure that you teach or preach is people fight so much to use a coupon or buy something on a sale you know black friday is the ultimate worst example of it probably they fight so long to get this discount and what do they do they put it on a credit card right so here they are thinking that oh i just got this fantastic deal on a big screen tv but i'm going to put it on my 20 percent credit card what's the point you just you just stood in line six hours or overnight at best buy to save 20 percent only to put it on the credit card and just make it a wash there's a lot of rationalization, and there's a lot of re- there's a lot of research out there around the neuroscience of how you spend money and make decisions to purchase things, and and that's that's one of them. You you buy something, it's you know it's at a discount, but then you put it on a credit card, add another twenty percent to it, but that's actually twenty percent compounded over the time that you actually want to pay it off. So, you know, you may actually be paying twice as as much for the item as it was originally listed in. So you're better off paying cash or putting something on a credit card and paying it off over a month or two. Well, because everyone wants the one it now philosophy, right? Like I have to have it now. I need it now. Yeah, that's that's sort of the social commentary. So it's it's uh, we do live in a very in a in a fast pace. Give it to me now. Um, our economic system is set up, you know, around utility and buying things and. You know, the, the more we b- seem to be able to buy, the better we feel about ourselves. And then we have houses full of stuff and we don't feel good about ourselves. And, you know, so it's it's uh, I think that I think the sooner you start with kids teaching them the value of saving and spending and sharing, um, the, the better, the better off you are, because those are ingrained habits that will affect the brain's development around concepts of money and saving. So how do you do that with your clients then and get an 18-year-old when they first get their, let's say they get their first job when they're 16, they start working part-time during school, and how do you get them interested in learning to save a little bit here and there so that they understand that 40 years later, 50 years later, when they need that money to retire, when they're not going to be able to work anymore, that this is why they have to start now. But like I know with my daughter, when she was when she first started her first part-time job at 16, she didn't understand that concept. I'm like, you know, just take $5. Take $5 from every paycheck. You're never going to miss it um, because you are going to need that money later. But they just, you know, that's thinking way far ahead. So how do you get your clients to understand that? Well, the, the, the most important thing is sit down and show them. So when I get together with an 18-year-old daughter of this client of mine, I'll sit down and talk about that very thing and say, so this is how much money you're going to need. 
this is, this is how much money you can save. And I'll go back and say, well, how much do you want to save? And compound it out at a, you know, say 6% rate. And say, if you do this, this is how much money you'll have in, say, 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years. And then begin to teach her, with her mom's help, um, how, how do you, what if, I want to, what if I want to buy something? Well, how do you budget for that? How, so it's, it's not simply saving, but it's actually budgeting. That, be, that becomes part of the spending piece. So how do I budget for my expenditures? How do I not stop saving? And, and how, how do you begin to talk about also delayed gratification? I mean, you want a skateboard or you want this trip or you want this music or dress or baseball, whatever it is, how do you, how do you budget for that? And then teach kids that when you, here's, here's how much money you're going to have and this is what those will cost. So you spend that, this is what your balance is going to be. So one of the things people don't realize is that I have savings, but when I save that money, my savings actually goes down. So there's a time value associated with, if I spend the money, it takes me more time to get back to where I was. Right. And one of the things that happens is, is that when people, begin, when people become savers, you know, you, you sort of morph or evolve into a saver, um, they don't want to spend money because of that very factor. The emotional impact of watching the balance goes down is too, too severe because it's so much fun watching the balance go up. They don't, well, they don't want to see it go down. For any small business owner or entrepreneur, when they have to learn the word cash flow and see that happening real time, I think that kind of kicks it in, right? Yeah, it, it does. That's, that's a different conversation. So, you know, it's, that's, yeah. So how do you deal with the saver then? Because then they become, I mean, are they not happy or free or like flowing into what they well, yeah, first were saving for? Yeah, most, mostly what happens with savers is, is that they, are, they sometimes become risk averse as well. So they, they shy away from the market. They tend to buy hard assets, real estate, um, gold, stuff that they can you know, put, put their hands on. Do you find the savers are more older and like not the younger community, but more of the... Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a generation that spent quite a bit of its time you know, just being careful about their money. Um, and it's, it's difficult... You know, I don't want to label gener, you know, generations, but I think baby boomers and, and, and other generations have struggled to, well, the research indicates, yeah, baby boomers particularly have struggled to, to save for retirement. And, um, well, that was a model, too, where companies would actually provide a pension, right? And that's really rare now for a company to do that, to actually provide pensions. And so that model of thinking is, oh, I'll just work and then I'll have something to live off of. Or I'll just work and I'll have Social Security to take care of me. And now the generations are learning, like, I, it may not be around. I may not have something like that. And I'm not going to stick around a job long enough to earn a pension. So, yeah, I guess I have to start doing it on my own. Yeah, the pensions were replaced by 401ks. And some companies matched on 401ks, some didn't. But there wasn't the guaranteed life, lifetime income of a pension coming from corporations. That that's, just hasn't been a consistent benefit for many, many years. Well, now the life expectancy of humans is also, what, increased by about 17 years on average? So people are, I think that if I remember the numbers correctly, it was around 60-ish. And yeah. now the life expectancy is up in the um, mid-80s or so. Yeah, my, my, my parents who were both passed away but their expectation was is that they would live to be about 68 to 69 Which, 
and my, my mom lived to be 86, and, and had it not been for some cancer, probably would have lived into very close to 100. She never expected that. I mean, it's interesting. Like when I, I had a same corporate job for 15 years, and when I get laid off, it was actually a blessing in disguise. But my first immediate thought was when I heard, you know, your position is being moved, wasn't, oh, crap, I lost my job. Oh, crap, this sucks. It was, oh, crap, I don't have matching money going into my 401k anymore. Right. Like that was my first concern. My first worry was, damn it, I want to retire. I want right. to get out of here. Yeah, and there's a, there's a time value to that as well. You know, when, when we work with clients who have 401ks and they have a 4 or 5 or 6% match, we'll explain to them that for as long as you're with this company, for every 6% you put in, you get 100% return immediately. Right. And so it's, that's, it's a nice benefit. It's still not a pension. You, the, you still have to make your own investment decisions. You have to make, you have more responsibility for what happens. You still have to choose to put the money in, um, whereas previously the corporation set the benefit aside for you. Now, speaking of retirement things, too, so the other guest that we have on is Clint Hosman. So Clint's a, a friend of mine that him and his brother used to beat up on me a lot when we were mountain bike racing. Nice. Nice. It's true. It's true. I, yeah. I, I saw the tail. I saw the tail end of Clint more than I needed to. Um, for your, it, it is a fantastic tail. End, it, it, yeah, it's okay <laughs> for Ginger. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Clint is uh, got a cool background because, and I'll let him talk about it more. But you know, racing taught him some discipline. Went through that. But um, what I'm wondering is if one of Clint's previous clients could actually help in this discussion. So Clint manages and helps out um, with people trying to develop systems to automate, to make a business better, stronger, so that it can grow and prosper that way. And one of his ex-clients is the Church of Scientology. So I'm wondering if there's some sort of like retirement aura that might oh. be going on there. No. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting topic, though, but you're saving time, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, Dave Ramsey, uh, with my previous uh, company that I was with, Sixth Division, I was the director of client services there, and Dave Ramsey was a two-time client of ours there for entree leadership and small business boutique. So the world of financial planning, and I'm listening to Ken talk about you know, goals and savings. When it comes to creating of systems, people will look out and they'll say, yeah, logically, I need a system. Logically, I need to be following up with leads. Um, people look at savings and go, yeah, I need to be doing that. And there is a certain type of person that will dedicate themselves and discipline their time and effort to create it. Then there's people like me who have to have like small incremental wins built in. So when I'm doing my savings or I'm working with a client, I try and bake in small wins, hmm. right? So it's instead of seeing a lifetime retirement goal and you're looking at it and I look at it and go, yeah, impossible. And I completely check out on it. Right. Right. And when I'm building a system with somebody, they have a grandiose scheme or idea. And while it's motivating to them, it's also a roadblock. Because I will never achieve that, I'll never even try. And so working with somebody to create, well, what are your small wins? What is a 90-day effort look like? What would a win within 90 days look like? And what's your reward for achieving that. And so for me, when I'm saving, it's I get to take the kids and we go and buy Legos. Right. So you reframe what, what that means. Yeah. Instead of it being this massive goal, instead of it being an elephant, 
It's just one bite of the elephant. One bite at a time. Yeah, oh, it's is, not an elephant for him. It's poison ivy eating goats. It's true. Really? That, well, yeah, that's well, a, another client. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> you named the business. We've worked with them. Right. So, yeah, and it's... Uh, I equate it, so in my line of work, what I do is I work with an entrepreneur, I develop a roadmap, a plan of what they want to do inside of their business, their system, financial planners being mm -hmm. one of them. And I equate a business owner, especially an entrepreneur, they're like a lion on the savanna. And yeah. this lion wants to eat a zebra. Well, right. zebras have two main defense mechanisms. They're a pack animal, a herd animal, mm -hmm. and they got those damn stripes. So right. when a zebra is running, a lion can't pick it out. So a business owner looks at their business the way a lion looks at a herd of zebra. They see the beginning, they see the end, and they see everything in between. Ask them to pick out an individual component, and they can't do it because they're seeing the interconnectivity mm -hmm. of everything involved. So what I focus on is let's just put a tag on a zebra. Mm -hmm. And researchers have done this where they'll go out and they'll tag zebras, and those zebras that get tagged, get taken down time and oh, time wow. again because now it's, there's something differentiating it from the rest of the herd. And so I sit down and I say, okay, look, your business is this great big thing. Let's break it into smaller chunks. What's priority? What is going to give you the best return in 90 days? Uh, what is going to free up your time over the next 90 days? Let's implement that. Mm -hmm. Well, what about these other components? Don't, they'll take care of themselves. They'll take care of themselves, but they're not going to get consumed or they're not going to get saved or developed until you do this one thing first. How do you develop the trust factor that actually has to come into that? Because I think sometimes entrepreneurs are like, what do you mean we're not going to take care of that too? It, it's a good question. Um, not feeding into their crazy. Spiked Kool-Aid. Yeah, mm. spiked Kool-Aid. It, it's if you're at ease, then they become at ease. Right. Well, and, and it kind of happens on both of both ends. Like there's clients that I'm sure are like, wait, just pull the money. No, just leave it there. Just pull it out. Like, yeah. how do you deal with both of that? Well, that's where the idea of small wins comes in. Yeah. Right. And so for me, when I'm looking at my financial planning, like I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old girls, and uh, we do Kool-Aid stands. <laughs> and so nice. the, the idea of uh, save, share, spend. Right, so we save. So my daughter, Dagny, she's the oldest one. Over the summer, she did Kool-Aid stands and chores around the house. She saved for a camera. Nice. Share, uh, uh, we tithe. And so she paid a tithe. And I took that bigger concept and, you know, weaved in stories. Of, and so she got, kind of got that. And then the spend, right, in between weekly, there are these little horrible toys called Shopkins. You can get them for like a dollar. They're awful. Um, she would go <laughs> and buy I want one. one. Yeah, okay. no, you don't. Trust me. <laughs> if you want one, I'll bring one to you. Okay, great. Um, I got a million. Um, so she'd get a little win, but it doesn't affect the overall goal. And so right. working with an entrepreneur, how do I build the trust? Right. Give them a win. And don't tell them you're giving them a win. Just give them a win. And with clients that are looking to take out sizable amounts or, or, or large positions out of a savings account or a retirement account, one of the things we do is we simply explore what are your options? What, what different avenues might you be able to take to make sure that whatever you're doing is actually 
to your benefit. And really underlying all of that becomes a question of how much time sometimes does it take to get to the money? How much time do you need it? Is it a one-time expenditure? Um, I think one of the biggest issues for entrepreneurs that I've seen the last eight years is for many of them waiting for the economy to come around in such a way that they were achieving the incomes that they had eight, ten years ago. And so as their incomes built up, they were relying on savings. So how do you do that? How much time will it take? How much time will it take to build back? What's realistic? How do you, how do you think of your life moving forward? But like Clint said, you break all that down into little pieces because if you don't, it becomes too big to digest immediately. So it's almost like staying creative, which is one of the things that you probably lose when you get stressed out. So staying in that communication um, definitely want to talk more about that. We're actually going to take a break, and um, I'm going to download um, Candy Crush onto Everardo's phone. So we'll be <laughs> right back. Are you ready for swimsuit season? Let's face it, we all have those pesky areas that are stubborn to diet and exercise. We have just the solution for you. Introducing the FDA approved Ultra Shape Power for powerful fat burning. The Ultra Shape Power is body contouring at its best at 32% fat reduction. The strongest and most effective body contouring device on the market. Painless, no downtime, and you can see the results in as little as two weeks. Call LifeScape Premier to schedule your free consultation with Noel, their very own certified laser specialist and national trainer. Call 480-860-5500 or visit www.lifescapepremier.com to learn more. Looking for your next event photographer? Everardo Kimi Photography is here to help. Everardo is the official photographer of the Waste Management Phoenix Open, an event that hosts over 1 million people, so you can trust him with your event. You deserve a photographer that is professional, experienced, and skilled. You deserve Everardo Kimi Photography. Contact Everardo at everardokimi.com or 480-382-7226 to make your next event picture perfect. Anyone who's ever sat through a long meeting or presentation knows what it's like to experience information overload. And anyone who's ever led one of these meetings knows the challenge of holding the attention of an audience. In such an information-dense society, this is a real problem when we want our message to be heard. Frame the Message, Inc. is the solution to helping your audience capture and retain information quickly and effectively. In a process called Live Graphic Recording, Frame the Message, Inc. creates large, colorful illustrations to accompany your presentation and captures the essence of the message of your meeting or event. If you want to avoid hearing this and instead hear this, then bring Frame the Message, Inc. to your next meeting or conference. When it comes to delivering a message, you have a choice in how your audience engages. Make the right one with FrameTheMessageInc.com. That's FrameTheMessageInc.com. 
Welcome back to Marketing Money Mindset, the place where clever marketing, creating money, and the conscious mindset intersect. With your hosts, Elisa Sparks Lane and Everardo Kimi. started talking about being creative and one thing I had a question for Clint is um, walk us through like how does someone actually work with you like let's say we have an entrepreneur who's interested in the systems and yeah. you know obviously you know curious to see what happens next well usually at this point I'm doing all of my business as a startup at this point and I'm partnering with different partner verticals like financial planning is a partnership that I'm working in with a partner up in Scottsdale, fitness, so on. And so right now I'm doing project work, and it's usually it's um, a sales conversation, right? But it's not necessarily a sales conversation in that it's a here's what I do. It's a what can we do? And we go through, and I call it a mapping process, you know, really original there. And uh, we go through and identify what are the components that people actually want to get built. Um, when you sit down with an entrepreneur, and my speciality is with Infusionsoft, uh, mm-hmm. soft, local software company here, um, probably one of the best tools, it is the best tool for small businesses and even large businesses. Like I said, uh, Dave Ramsey, his Entree Leadership Small Business Boutique, mm-hmm. they use it. Uh, IBM was a former client of mine. They use it for uh, recruiting. So even larger organizations use this software, but it's difficult when an entrepreneur sees not only the technological possibilities, but then you also dump into their advice or strategy. And so it becomes this tangled web of, my friend says I should do this, and I was reading this blog, and it should be like this. And how do I actually make that happen inside of technology? And what does that look like to the end user? And so we have to take a huge step back. And I always tell people, look, we're going to talk for the next hour, two hours, and we're going to get really detailed. But before we get really detailed, we're going to look at what is it that you actually want to create? And uh, I call it the Lego principle. We're big fans of Legos in our house. And it's essentially like if who... Nobody in here has small kids other than me, huh? Okay, when was the last time uh, you bought Legos for your children? All right. So When was the last time you stepped on a Lego? Oh. Yes. This morning. This morning, <laughs> right. So uh, when you buy a back box of Legos, you buy it, and your kid looks at the uh, ice cream truck on the front, and they're like, I totally want that ice cream truck. And then you bring it home, and there's a 1,000 pieces in there. And if you open up a box of Legos you don't open it up and pour it out and a thousand Legos dump out. You open it up and there are individual boxes, Mm -hmm. individual bags, and they're they're really convenient. They say number one, number two, and number three. And so you build number one and then you open up bag number two and you build number two. And if you've done it right, these two components connect. Mm -hmm. So, we take a huge step back and it's very simplistic and we look at an entrepreneur and we say, okay, what does your business look like? What are the things you should be doing? And I'm using my quoter fingers. You should be doing. And we go through and we identify the individual Lego boxes. I need marketing campaigns. Uh, there's, I'll boil it down and be really super simplistic. There's two types of businesses. Business where I can buy from you without ever talking to you 
and business is where I have to talk to you before I give you money. My personal favorite are businesses where you have to talk to somebody, a consult to close, your financial planners, your real estate agents, uh, your photographers. And so if you have a consultative process, that becomes your heart and soul of your business, right? And we start there. And then we talk about what are the things that you sell? What can I buy from you? I can buy headshots. I can buy event photography. I can buy uh, speaking engagements. Okay, great. And we just go through, and each one of these possibilities becomes a Lego bag. And we identify it. And we take a big step back, and we go, okay, that's what your business looks like. What's your priority? Right? And priorities are based off of what, are your, what is your biggest area of opportunity, your biggest pain point, and we pick it and roll on it. And so that's, like, that's level one. And then we get into the details, and any graphic designer, web designer listening can probably relate to this, where you say, I want a logo, and the graphic designer says, what shade? And they say blue, and then the graphic designer gives them blue, and they go, no, that's not it. I wanted more of a turquoise. Mm -hmm. And so getting clear on language and how many call attempts do you want to reach out to a new contact? What do you want to have happen? And so you get into the details, and it's only after you get into the details that you actually go in and build something. So it starts with big clarity first, big picture, and then go through and identify the priorities. So really both of you guys have to go through the same exact process because everyone's going to fail at some point thinking, I'm starting at point A, and I need to get to point B, and then they panic about it because it's probably too big of a goal to bite off, right? Yeah. yeah. So then you have to get all these small little wins along the way so that they understand, okay, cool, this isn't so bad, or this isn't as hard as I thought it would be. Well, in your, again, you're, going, you're dealing with two, two concepts. There's the technical minutia of how do I accomplish it. Then there's the what strategy should I follow to accomplish it. And oftentimes the technology will differ based on the strategy that you want to use. And most people just get into comparing pros and cons of strategy, and they never actually do anything. They consume a lot of strategy. They consume a lot of knowledge. But then they fail at implementing because, really, it's just this big elephant, and it's staring them in the face, and they're just not going to move on You think on it's it. partially uh, fear of failure as well? Like a lot of the information that you're getting, you're like, well, I could do it that way, I could do it this way, I could do it that way, but how do I do it? Yes. Yeah. So is there any portion of you coaching them through a failure process as well? Yeah. I mean, I think that's for both of you. I think there's obviously times when, you know, the investment didn't go the way you planned or, you know, there was something else that showed up or there, there was a need to pull some money out. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, uh, you know, the, the collapse was a perfect example. How do you... We did some specific things to mitigate some of that risk, but still you have the biggest issue was if you were a baby boomer, you were saving for retirement. If you looked at your accounts or looked at where the markets were, you could go back 10 years and the markets were exactly where they were 10 years previously. So when you talk about now or later time, for some, for some people, there was a 10-year time period that was lost in terms of investment returns. And so you have to begin to ask the question, so how do you address that? Is it possible to get different returns? Is it possible to reduce risk? Is it possible to cut back your, you know, your lifestyle? Is it possible to work another five years? Is it possible to increase your savings? It's just there are a number of, of, of scenarios you have to go through. And 
um, be proactive. Both we're proactive as an office, but um, uh, encouraging clients to be proactive. If you if they had done a clients that were doing financial planning in the middle of the collapse, their outcomes looked a lot different than they do now. So there's an emotional context to having a plan in place on an annual basis that allows you to reflect on where you've come from the last five or six or seven years. What do you mean by proactive? Because I hear that word and I'm like, is there something that the client should be doing or not doing or avoiding or just being calm? Well, proactive really has to do with, with our activity with our clients, um, but it also means clients engaging. So is um, it staying on the course? Like staying with that discipline, knowing that their end goal is what their end goal is and not swaying from that? Um, not necessarily. It's, it's, it's being proactive to say, what are, how can we be creative? Okay. That was the... Got it. How, do you, how can you be creative? What, what can be different to make this, to get where you still need to go? And what's that time frame look like? Is it different? Has it changed? Again, should you save more? Should you save less? Should you take more risk? I had clients that said, I want to take more risk. I can't tread water like this. How often do you meet with clients when they're on the path? Uh, we, we have several levels of clients that we work with. So either annually, biannually, or quarterly. Most of our clients we meet with quarterly, mm. either by face-to-face -face or by phone. We have a lot of clients that are spread around the country. Well, and it's a comfort factor of each individual person, right? Like I meet with my financial planner once a year because this is the long-term goal. I don't, I don't really need this until 20, 30 years from now. So why obsess about it every time there's a little dip in the market, right? That's just going to make me more ob obsessed. Okay. It's going to make me more panicked, worrisome, things like that. But if I can come back on a yearly basis and just say, okay, well, long-term goal, we're still on track. I'm going to get there. And then, yeah, then I'd take that stress out of it for myself. Because me personally, I don't, I don't like that stress. But I, I've got to imagine you have other people that just call and panic every time there's a little dip. Oh, the Dow just hit 22. Oh, the Dow hit, you know, whatever. I'm sure they're just freaking out for every little moment, right? You know, it's an interesting, interesting process. The collapse was, I think, out of the bulk of our clients, we had two people call. Because they have, when I, be, when I say proactive, one of the things you have to be proactive about is making sure that the clients that you work with have a clear understanding of what you do, how you do it, and why you do it. Um, and we have to be proactive, so we have to understand that based on a person's own risk temperament, their time frame, their age, and the size of their accounts, they're actually going to have a greater need to meet more often. And so that, those are sort of the factors. I don't really let clients determine that in particular because when things are going well, people tend to, well, my car is in good shape, I don't need a tune-up. And then you realize you needed a tune-up because your car just broke down. So we tend to not wait for the car to break down. But in a nice way, you kind of have to remind people too that you're the captain of the ship, right? You're not going to yes. let it go down. Um, but you need to direct it. You need to do your role in it. I do. And they need to do their role in it. Correct. Right. That's why people come to you is because we're not financial advisors. We're not good with our money. We don't know what to do with it and when to do with it. You right. do. And so there's that thing sometimes that people just have to let go. And it's the same thing with Clint's clients too. It's like they can read, study, learn Infusionsoft on their own, try to do these things. But at the end of the day, go do it. And we, you and I have talked about this, Lisa, like dozens of times. Like you hate bookkeeping, you hate accounting. So you immediately turn that over to someone else, right? And there's other aspects of my business that I do the same thing. And we all outsource one way or another, right? Like I get my groceries delivered. 
I hate going to the grocery store. So that's another Can way. Can almost fall to seat. I really, I sort of enjoy the grocery store sometimes. Well, not, not if I'm rushed, but th there are times I sort of like, oh, wow, I didn't know they made that. Did you know they give you free stuff at Costco on Saturdays? Too? Yeah, I do know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you go in. Good, yeah. Yeah, Costco's sort of cool, actually. <laughs> no, I, going back to the, the idea of, like, the financial, you know, the real estate bubble, right? Um, I think it's important for people to not underestimate the power of failure. That's right. It's some of, I'm thinking of one client of mine specifically, uh, he runs a men's empowerment group um, called Wake Up Warrior out in California. Uh, he hit rock bottom financially when the bubble burst. Mm -hmm. And what it ended up doing was motivating him and driving him in a completely different direction mm -hmm. where he's way more fulfilled, way more financially successful than he ever was in real estate. But it's learning to identify we i call it like the dashboard you use the analogy of the car like hey right. you're not tuning it up right up until it's too late well hopefully you have a dashboard that says check your engine right right and so whatever financial plan you have whatever marketing strategy you have you have to be smart enough or allow somebody to guide you to build in those warning lights some of the most some of the best launches that i've done with clients have been complete failures because now it's told them don't invest your money here hmm. And people only broadcast or advertise their successes. For every knockout of the park in a marketing strategy, guarantee somebody has seven or eight that completely fell flat. Right. Uh, going back to cycling, I called it uh, Clint's Law of 50%. So you'd show up at a mountain bike race, and everybody would just, you know, kind of be hanging out, talking. You'd be like, hey, Vardo, how, uh, how much are you getting out? you getting out training much? And you'd be like, Oh man, been really busy. I only got out like 30 hours this week. And then inside you're going, 30 hours? How did he? Oh my gosh. Well, the truth is he probably did 10. So take whatever he says he's doing, subtract 50%. That's probably what he's actually doing. <laughs> and so when people broadcast, they're saying I'm a 75% guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. It's cool, you know. You know, and so people only broadcast the success guarantee you for every success there's seven or eight failures sure. and you yeah. just you just learned what not to do congratulations move on to the next thing as long as you have the dashboard built in it's almost like you. get over that fear a little bit faster like get that failure out so you learn from it move on it, it really is about thing. getting better at iterating and coming up with ideas yeah the faster you can take idea to actualization that's where i really work with an entrepreneur is get out of your head let's try a strategy so people will come in what strategy should i use i don't know and they'll like stare at you blank like well you're supposed to know no i'm not we can build in the data to tell us what works but let's get good at cranking out ideas so that we get to the winner quick so that you're not investing time effort head trash money in failing ideas well, look, there's a famous story of Ray Kroc, right? He's the, he's the guy who stole the idea from McDonald's, from the McDonald's brothers. And when stole, he stole is a really hard word, but okay. He actually did. Right. He stole the idea from the brothers. Um, he, well, he stole McDonald's from the brothers, essentially what he did. He'd pay for it. And so in one interview, people had asked for him. They just said, so, wow, you're such an overnight success. He goes, I'm 52 years old. That was a 52-year night, like, 
it, it didn't just happen. It took a lot of failure. It took a lot of selling shake machines, selling uh, all the little side businesses that he used to do up until then. But that's what people always have to remember. Jillian Michaels the same way, right? She sat on stage at Infusionsoft's conference, and some people love to credit her and like, oh my gosh, look what you built here. She's like, I've been working on this for decades. <laughs> it just finally took off with the right team and the right people, and the like. It's the timing of it. But that's what people let themselves to believe in social media now is that everything's so perfect. And oh my gosh, look, this person just started making cupcakes, and here they are, gangbusters, and they're on Cupcake Wars, and they're on the next Food Network star, and you're like. They've been doing that out of their garage for, you know, a long, long time. They've burnt more cupcakes than they've probably succeeded with until that point. And people just have to get comfortable with that. It's also a team behind what you're doing, too. Like, there's a a lot of times you don't even take notice of what it took and who was involved. You know, and I think think this may be a little bit too philosophical, but I think the next big thing in marketing is just going to be transparency and failures. Yeah. People just owning. A I think it started authenticity. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, that didn't work. I think the sooner we can get over the fake Facebook, you know, bullcrap about it, then real iteration, real ideas, real growth happens because we're just owning those failures and. You're going to grow a lot faster. Absolutely, like it's really the only way you can learn from it, unfortunately, and so you just have to do that. It's it's that's your buy-in. Yeah. So, oops, I did it again. Is worth taking note. Yeah. Well, how many times did that work? I'm sure. I'm sure there was a lot of cuts to that one. Pretty sure it's still <laughs> working. My wife wants to go up there and see it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. So, Ken, to bring it back though, how do people find you? How do people start to work with you? Or how does this? You know, you can. Uh, we, it's an Ameriprise franchise. You can look us up, Google us, um, 480-222-0064. I almost gave out the fax number. That would not work. <laughs> no. um, that would have a fail. Yeah, that would have failed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, we're in. We have an office, uh, Desert Ridge Corporate Center, right at Tatum in the 101. We've been there about uh, going into our 11th year in that location. So I've been doing this for about uh, 25 years. So, What got you started on it? Um, what got me started on this? Um, just sort of like you, I decided I wanted to do a career change. Had a background in the behavioral sciences and decided it would be, it'd be beneficial for working people, working with people around issues of money, since money can be, create some conflict. Um, and I had some PhD work that were in, was in some interesting back areas. And so I spent quite a bit of time studying neuroscience and some of the math around the markets and actual how do you end up with failures. And money creates an interesting thing, particularly the markets, because one of the things we share with our clients is that you actually feel um, if you get up in the morning and the market's down 100 points, you actually feel that at a rate of four times, four times the emotional power than if you woke up and the market was up 100 points. So one of the things we do is we spend time helping our clients understand that um, the market goes up as much as it goes down. So that's one of the disciplines we try and bake into our work with our clients is try and, try and learn to gauge your emotional reaction because it's an emotional reaction. It's not necessarily an empirical projection of what's going to happen in the next five or six days. It's just, it's the way we're built, you know, it's, 
from being out on the Serengeti, you know, we're, we get fear becomes a big factor when we feel threatened. So, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting concept, like especially when it's involved with money, because it's a nice number that you can actually see. But it's the same with developing a business, right? It's it's this. It's you can report on it. You can see it. You can track it. You can wake up to it. You can. There's a statement to look at. There's something to kind of help along the way with those fear and anxiety with it. And again, if you have like, if you're a visual person, like a lot of us are, then you can see a graph and you're like, okay, I'm still going in the right direction, right? There might be a little zig or zag here and there, but I'm still, as long as I'm getting to the the destination, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And when people start to understand that, then it's okay. That's absolutely, that's absolutely the case. So that's, that's part of the, one of the places where you don't, okay, so we, let's, let's put the elephant in the room. It is an elephant. It's a big number. We have a long time to chew on this, so let's take the first bite and just work on it one bite at a time. And, you know, eventually you get there. And that's, that's one of the advantages of doing financial planning on an annual basis because you accumulate a, 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 an emotional as well as an empirical bank of data that you store. And so a client store that. And you can go back over time and take a look at that, and they can see you know, the projections on their retirement, how they changed, they got better, they got worse as the markets changed, as they had career changes and spent money on college that they didn't think or they didn't plan for or, you know, different life events. And you find a way to make it work, but you have a plan. And it's interesting. I always think back, and this was like a turning point in my life, and it happened like just after high school, someone showed the chart of how compound interest and how compound money works. Right. Because people really don't understand that. And still people don't understand it. Like you said, from the credit cards perspective, they don't understand that it's compound interest on that. Correct. And they're going to end up paying way more for that TV that they saved for. But it was so interesting to see. And it was, I think it started off as like a penny. Like if you just did a penny, what was it like per week or something like that? And at the end of like a lifespan, or I think at 50 years or something like that, you'd have like a couple million in the bank. But someone was like, oh, well, what if I just start at 18 and I do, you know, two pennies? You'll never catch up. Like no, that, that compound just right. steamrolls and you really can't catch up at that point. Yeah, the time value of money is very, very powerful. Yeah, so, I was, was going to say there where you said it's not a, it's a, not a sprint, but a marathon, mm-hmm. except when it's a sprint. Right. <laughs> right. That's a good point. For some it, people, it becomes a sprint. Yeah. And you got to be able to pace yourself. And I think for me, it's just identifying where am I at and repetition lulls people into it's all right. It's a marathon. I'm doing all right. Right up until there's an opportunity or right up until you've got a shift, right? That elephant in the world in the room staring at you and it's going to lift up its foot. You better sprint. Yeah. Or you got to get out of the way or you got to chase something. And so being able to identify and just put the fear aside for a minute and realize, okay, this is going to be scary, but I'm going to sprint for the next three months, the next two years. I'm going to right. take my investment, and I'm going to chase something a little bit bigger. So, yeah, you, you may have missed out on that penny from when you were born, uh, but if you listen to people and you pay attention, you'll get to create something bigger, or you could create something bigger if you're paying attention to it. Well, and like you and I, like growing up with cycling, starting off at such a young age, that taught us a lot, right? Because, again, that race, when you're starting off as a novice and you're only doing a 20-mile race, it's shorter than when you're you know, going in your higher categories. You need to do more and more, but you still learn the same thing. Like, I could sprint to the line and get off the gate, but 
oh man, I got 20 more miles to go, right? So now what? And then Ken's a cyclist as well too. And we all learned that at some point. And I think that's kind of a fun thing for us is, you know, we could go for a hundred mile ride, but in between there from the start to the finish, there's going to be hills where you have to work hard to get up that hill. And then you're going to have downhills where you can just coast. Right. So and I that's just the normal course of it. I think it was Eddie Merckx said, uh, famous, like world's best cyclist ever. I uh, said a bike race is like a box, a bike race and a cyclist or a cyclist in a bike box. Bleh. Boxer. Yep. Thank you. Uh, a cyclist in a bike race is like a book of matches. The guy who wins is the one with the most matches left. Yeah, that's right. And so it's pacing because every time you make an effort, you burn a match. You burn a match. You do. Right. And every time an entrepreneur makes an effort, they burn a match. They burn a match. Like there are people who say, oh, well, it's just how you perceive effort. No, you have a finite number of matches in this box. How are you going to strike them? For that particular race. That's right. Yeah. And so learning to sprint when it's appropriate, learning to roll back when it's appropriate. Right. And it's, it takes having a guide. It takes having a guide to hold you along the way and say, now's the time to go. Right? You watch all modern cyclists. They've got somebody in their ear. Slow down, speed up, slow down, they speed do. up. And it's, it just becomes critical. Elisa, did you have that when you were drinking Prosecco? Did you have someone in your ear saying, like, slow down, speed up, slow down, speed up? No, but it's actually a really good concept and probably really helpful at times. <laughs> um, this was a really great concept and uh, ideas that popped out of here. But I, I definitely love the idea of also speeding up at times and realizing when it is time to speed up. Because I think now sometimes is, like the opportunity and it won't be there forever. So there's opportunities that do have to be um, taken and, and knowing and having coaches by your side definitely makes a big difference um, that have been there or kind of see a little bit ahead of, you know, what's going to happen. So um, I appreciate the time together. Definitely we're going to share some more information on our group page. And I believe that Ken is also our newest sponsor. So welcome. And um, we appreciate Hooray. everything that's happening. And um, just stay here now. I shared both the links on the Facebook page so everyone can always track us there. Um, and then we'll have links to the post show to go out with that. But, you know, one thing that I posted on too that I really appreciate and like that these guys both shared is the spend, save, yeah, share method. Yeah, I saw that post. Right. So cool. It works that way. And discipline. Yes. That was probably right. the best one I got. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a You're great welcome. day. Thanks. We'll see you guys next You're week. Welcome. You can say what you want about me. Try to do what you want to me. But you cannot stop me. I've been knocked down. It's a crazy town. Even got punched in the face in LA.